City Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, we have a special guest, Dr. Ed Romine, and he is preaching a message from Ezekiel chapter 13, and the message is called, God Has Spoken. We hope you are blessed by the message today. So with that said, if you're not there already, we'll be in Ezekiel 13. Ezekiel 13. And what I want each of you to be thinking about this morning is the fact that God has spoken. If you're looking for a sermon title, you can write that down. God has spoken. And because God has spoken, we ought to listen. Because God has spoken, we ought to listen. And for those who do not listen, judgment is upon them. For those who do not listen, judgment is upon them. So if you are taking notes, my sermon only has two points. And the first point I want you to see is from verses 1 to 7. And then the second point can be found in verses 8 through 23. 1 to 7, and then 8 through 23. And the first point is simply this. That these false prophets in this text are under judgment. These false prophets in this text are under judgment. And you see that and the reason why they are under judgment in the first seven verses. And then you see the severity of God's judgment in verses 8 through 23. You see the false prophet's severe judgment. So as we look at this text, I want you to realize God has spoken. So we'll pray together, and after we pray together, we'll begin the sermon proper. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the fact that you have spoken. I pray and I ask that you would speak to us through the preaching of your word this morning. It is such a joy and honor to preach your word in any capacity. I pray that you would use even me this morning, that your spirit would be among us. May your people of New City Church listen well. Listen carefully. Help me to speak well. Father, as I preach to this people, I can't help but think about the congregation that I 
love back home at First Baptist Provo. I pray that you would be with my dear brother, Pastor Russ, as he preaches from Matthew. Just help him to clearly teach and preach on the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And may this church know that they have a church in Provo, Utah, that will be hearing more about them and loving them. And, and, and I hope and I pray, Lord, that it'll be vice versa soon. And I ask that you would be with us this morning. I thank you for every prayer prayed and worship. And I pray for every song sung in the musical worship. May this be a continuation of our worship together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You've probably heard a sound like this at one point. You open the door. Maybe it's two young men, white shirts and ties. And they seem very proper, very kept. And they say, hello, we're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we have a message for you from Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've had a knock on the door and it's been two adult human beings standing before you with magazines from a weird organization called the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Or perhaps you've seen on the television those folks who are really odd and run around speaking tongues and knock people down and say that they're slain in the Spirit. All three of the examples that I just gave to you are examples of what's always been the case in a fallen world. <clears throat> There's always been, as long as sin has been in the world, those who would say, we're a prophet of the Lord God. We're a prophet of Yahweh God. And there are those who would take upon themselves the mantle of being God's mouthpiece. When in fact, like the three examples that I started out with, they're not. And I started out this sermon by saying, I want you to know that God speaks today. And for those who do not listen, there's judgment. And that's exactly what we see in the text. So I'm going to read the text in its entirety. And again, I want you to be looking at verses 1 through 8 or 1 through 7 rather than 8 through 23. And I want you to see the severity of judgment upon those who would say they are God's prophets, that they are God's mouthpieces, yet they are not. 
God says through His true prophet, Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them, And they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. Verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, and therefore behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the, in the, register of the house of Israel nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God, precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out. And when the wind falls, will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundations will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I spend my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord God. And you, son of man... Set your face against the daughters of your people 
who prophesy out of their own hearts. Prophesy against them and say, Thus the Lord, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the woman, to the women who sew magic bands upon all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in the hunt for souls. Will you hunt down souls belonging to my people and keep your own souls alive? You have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death souls who should not die and keeping alive souls who should not live. By your lying to my people who listen to lies. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against your magic bands, and I will tear them from your arms, and I will let the souls whom you hunt go free, the souls like birds. Your veils also I will tear off and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand as prey, and you shall know that I am the Lord, because you have disheartened the righteous falsely. Although I have not grieved him, and you have encouraged the wicked, that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. Therefore, you shall have no, you shall no more see false visions, nor practice divination. I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. In this text, we see the effects of the fall. In this text, we see, I would argue, the worst text of the fall. Because in the first seven verses, you see why these people are condemned. And if you know anything about Ezekiel, you know that Ezekiel ministered at the same time as the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah might be (coughs) a little bit more uh, uh, popular amongst Christians nowadays. Ezekiel ministered in Babylon. And so there was a lot of occultic magic practices that were happening among the people at the time. And and you really see in the preceding chapter the judgment upon the people because they have followed after false prophets. And here in chapter 13, you see the false prophets themselves condemned. And in the first seven verses, you see why they're condemned. And Ezekiel starts out by saying this, the word of Yahweh came to me. Whenever you see Lord in all caps, you can mentally think to yourself, that's the name of the Lord. You see that there in the ESV text. And what does Yahweh say to Ezekiel? Son of man, Prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying 
and say to those who prophesy, pay attention to this, from their own hearts. From their own hearts. The same prophet, or rather the contemporary prophet, Jeremiah says rather emphatically in Jeremiah 17, 9, that man's heart in and of itself is deceitful and sick and wicked. You can go back and look at that on your own time. And here is the heart of man on display. Notice that these who prophesy from their own hearts have the audacity to invoke that very same name, Yahweh. Hear the word of the Lord. Lord in all caps. Hear the word of Yahweh. And you see what they are doing is invoking the name of the Lord. And then look at what it says in verse 3. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. And all we have here is that, is that these people have invoked the name of Yahweh. They're saying the very same thing that Ezekiel says about himself. Look at verse 1. The word of Yahweh came to me. And then these false prophets prophesy from their own hearts and say the exact same thing. Hear the word of Yahweh. And that's enough to actually make Yahweh pronounce a woe. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit. Now notice that word foolish. That word foolish is a very strong word. If you've ever seen Psalm 14, Psalm 14, 1 as a matter of fact, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, no God. But here we have the same word applied to those who use the name of the true God falsely. And we'll see that here in a second. They're using the name of Yahweh falsely. And that is enough to bring down the Lord's condemnation in a woe. And it can be in a 21st century context really easy for us just to look over this and say, yeah, they're judged, and then go on reading. But I want you to think about the gravity of what it's like to, to be under God's holy wrath and judgment. Think with me for a moment about the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to you. Perhaps somebody in here has been in a situation where they thought that their life was going to end. Maybe you've been in a situation down south where you've been in a really strong tornado. Maybe you've been in a situation where a hurricane hit you and you thought that 
your whole life situation was going to be upended by the strength of that hurricane. And you thought that your life situation was so bad that you didn't think you would ever recover from it. Those illustrations do not compare to the burning anger of Yahweh God. And we'll see that. And he brings it out in the strongest of terms here. He says, woe to those who might as well be atheists. Woe to those who use my name in a way that they shouldn't be using it. But the condemnation doesn't stop there. They invoke the Lord's name when he has not spoken to them. The text says they see nothing. God goes on to say, Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. That's a very interesting phrase because a lot of folks, when they think about jackals, they, they think about just the wild dog-like creature that runs around and is really a scavenger. But if you look at that word that's used for jackal, in some Jewish context, there's actually evidence to believe that that word can be translated to mean more like a supernatural demonic entity. Whenever in the Old Testament you see a land become a haunt for jackals, some in the Jewish culture would have understood that a haunt for demonic spirits. So either way, whichever interpretation you want to take, it is not good that these false prophets are being compared like scavenging animals or they're being compared like demonic spirits. We'll see that, that either interpretation is just fine, but I think the demonic spirit one has more gravity with everything else that's going on in the text because these false prophets and false prophetesses are practicing magic, getting into things that they have no business getting into. And he's saying, they've seen nothing from me. I have not spoken to them. And he says, your so-called prophets are like jackals. They've gone down as low as they can get that my judgment is upon them and your false prophets will be useless to you. And then he goes on to something quite curious. Look at what he says in verse 5. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in the day of, there's the Lord again in all caps, in the day of Yahweh. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. So he's saying, you have not prepared my people for war. This would have been a military context. Back in the ancient Near East, you had to prepare your, your city for war. And they are prophesying that it's not wartime. We'll, we'll see that in a little bit. So they're doing the people both a spiritual disservice and a 
military disservice. And back in the ancient Near East, your military was directly connected to your theology. What you believed about your nation conquering others in war was directly associated to whether or not your God was powerful. And remember, these people are invoking the name of Yahweh, but telling them it, they don't have to war, they don't have to battle. But it gets worse. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. So that's interesting because before Yahweh says they have seen nothing. But here they have seen false visions. So which is it? Did they see something or not? Well, they saw nothing of truth, nothing of substance. And if you've ever been around anybody that practices divination or the occult, they do have spiritual experiences. But those spiritual experiences are, are lying, they're deceiving, and, and we'll see that later on in the text. But in this next verse, we see the strongest condemnation and the reason why judgment has come upon these false prophets. In the next two verses. Look at what the text says. The, they say. Declares Yahweh. When Yahweh. Has not sent them. And yet they. Expect him. To fulfill their word. Verse 7. Have you not seen a false vision. And uttered a lying divination. Whenever you have said. Declares Yahweh, although I have not spoken, this is why judgment has come upon the nation of Israel. This is why Yahweh is so angry. Because you have false prophets putting words into his mouth that he has never spoken. And Yahweh is angry about it. You have false prophets declaring to the people, you do not need to be ready for spiritual warfare. You, you don't need to be ready to fight. Everything's okay. When the true prophet of the Lord Ezekiel is saying exactly the opposite throughout his book. They're in enemy territory. They're in Babylonian exile. They need to be on guard. So we see the reason for the judgment. That these false prophets in verses 1 through 7 have said, Thus says Yahweh, and he hasn't spoken. Remember the illustration that I opened up with? The, the knock at the door. And you have people who say that there's another testament of Jesus Christ in the Book of Mormon. You have people who say that, that as they would say, Jehovah, wrongly by the way, has spoken through the Watchtower Bible 
and track society and that is the only true and living organization by which and through which Jehovah speaks. I would submit to you, dear ones, that God is just as angry with those who today would go outside the bounds of God's spoken revelation. God is just as angry today with those who would add to his precious word. Well, how how does this play out? Well, we see in the larger chunk of this chapter exactly how it plays out. You see that the false prophets and false prophetesses are doomed. God says in verse 8, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. So notice the two times it uses that little word against. It's not a little in its theological sense. It's, it's horrifying to be used by God. These people think that Yahweh is for them and they have the audacity to declare thus, says Yahweh, and the very first word of judgment is the most horrifying sentence that could be said. It is the sentence that echoes through the halls of hell. Forever in hell, people hear the undying phrase, I am against you. And, and that's exactly what we see here. The horrifying phrase, I am against you, because of their falsehood. Because they have the audacity to say, Thus says Yahweh, and Yahweh says, No, I've never spoken to you. You do not stand for my truth. So quit saying you're for me when you're against me. And because you're against me, and you put words into my mouth, I am against you. That's that's what he says. He says, I am against you. He goes on to say, My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. You see false divisions, divinations and lying uh, visions just throughout this text. You, you saw it in verse 7. Here you see it again. The, these people claim to hear from Yahweh and they don't. And God is saying, I'm going to judge you. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel. Nor shall they enter the land of Israel. 
God was and is the God over Israel. And he says, I'm not even going to let you lead my people. If you are going to speak to them falsely, theologically and militarily, your reign in Israel is going to end. Your reign in Israel will be short-lived. That, that's what that text means when it says the council of his people and the registry of the house of Israel. Those are different ways of saying it. they're going to be expunged from leadership. And, and look at this next little phrase. You shall know that I am the Lord God. You shall know that I'm the Lord God. God is known in his judgments. God is known in his judgments. Everybody in hell, dear friends, knows the reality of God in a nightmare that will haunt them throughout their eternity. There are no atheists in hell. You understand that, don't you? There may be those who, who shake their fist at God in this life, but there are no fist shakers in the next, in either heaven or hell. And God's judgment on this earth is oftentimes known in order to make His undying sovereign presence known. And he says, this judgment is coming upon these false prophets and these false prophets will know who the real God is. But then he lays it on more thickly. He uses language of precision in verse 10. Precisely because they have misled my people saying, remember what I talked about before? Peace, when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. Now again, we go back to the military connection here. Don't miss this. Uh, whitewash would have been a way to basically disengage the wall to make it useless in the military battle to, to make that hedge of protection useless. And they're saying there's no reason to fortify yourselves as a nation in captivity we're at peace here in enemy territory. We are at peace here. And God says, you fools, there is no peace. How dare you say I say that? So the wall is useless. And he says, in my wrath, in my anger, I'm going to destroy everything thing that you have made. Look at what the text says. There will be a deluge of rain and you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out 
And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that ye have smeared with whitewash, and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare, and when it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it. And there's that phrase again. You shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I spend my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, no those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord God. And just the same, look at the perfection and completeness of God's wrathful judgment. Look at the perfection and completeness of God's wrathful judgment. Now, if you notice, at the beginning of verse 11, it says, there will be a deluge of rain. And you, O great hailstones, will fall. And a stormy wind will break out. And then, when you get to verse 13, he says again, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain or deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones and wrath to make a full end. So you notice how that's repeated twice. That shows the severity of the judgment. That's a very Hebrew way to say this is most assuredly going to happen. And notice he says to make a full end. And, and, and the wall is going to be no more. Their foundation is going to be, as the text says, laid bare. And when the wall is laid bare, the text says, they will perish. Probably out of another military conquering the, the nation of Israel and these false prophets. And it says that they are going to perish. That God is going to make of these prophets an end that will be a perpetual statement and warning to not speak when God hasn't spoken. And if you notice throughout this text, do you find it curious that God calls them prophets all the way through? He doesn't let go of the title that they've given themselves that they are prophets, that they are mouthpieces for God, for Yahweh. It's almost as if in His judgment, He is mocking the fact that they are prophets. And He says, you have lying visions and false divinations, and He's going to make an end of these prophets, but to the very end, look at verse 16. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace. He's making a mockery of them. 
who's saying you've seen false visions, you've seen lying divinations, you've told my people that they're at peacetime when they're at wartime and Babylonian captivity, and I'm going to make sure that that is not said again in this generation. I'm going to judge you, and when I do, it will be a full and complete end. But it doesn't stop there with the judgment. Not only are the judgments given to the prophets, the men, but also to the women who are in leadership. The prophetesses. Look at what it says in verses 17 and 18. And you, son of man, Set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy, there's that phrase again, out of their own hearts. Prophesy against them. And says, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sew magic bands upon all rest and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in the hunt for souls. Will you hunt down souls belonging to my people and keep your own souls alive? You have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death souls who should not die and keeping alive souls who should not live. By your lying to my people who listen to lies. So again, you have this pattern of the reason why they're being judged. These false prophetesses are practicing magic. They're into the occult. They are more than likely witches. You think about the witch of Endor in Samuel's book, how the king Saul went to the witch. And shortly after that, King Saul is dead. He is no more. And I know up here in New England, uh, there's a lot of practice of witchcraft and occultism and, and magic, both white and dark. Here's one of those situations where God condemns those who practice magic, who go against what God has expressly forbidden in places like Deuteronomy 18. And again, what we see is the practice of magic comes out of one's own deceitful heart. That's why you have that phrase that they prophesy out of their own hearts. But Ezekiel, who is prophesying in righteousness' sake, has a real word from Yahweh for these false prophetesses, these lying witches. They are hunting after the souls of people. Their, their faults and lying prophecies are destroying the souls of the people. But don't be mistaken. The people are not innocent and precious. And woe to them. Look at the little phrase at the end of 19. By your lying to my people who listen to lies. Those who practice listening to false teachers 
are oftentimes just as guilty as the false teachers themselves. Because as the New Testament says, they have ears that want to be tickled. They, they want to hear what they're hearing. They want more revelation from God. And that's why they run after such things like the Book of Mormon. And the Word of God, the fact that God has spoken is not sufficient for them. So these people, just like in our time, they are listening to lies. So it's not as though they're innocent, but they are guilty. And it's almost like a little tagline. Remember from chapter 12, these people are not innocent. They're also guilty and condemned. But the greatest judgment, the harshest judgment, comes to those who teach and speak on behalf of the Lord. Look at God's final bit of judgment here in verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, here we go again, I'm against your magic bands with which you hunt the souls like birds and I will tear them from your arms and I will let the souls whom you hunt go free the souls like birds your veils also I will tear off and deliver my people out of your hand and they shall no more be in your hand as prey and who shall know that I am Yahweh Because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved him, and you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way and save his life. Therefore, you shall no more see false visions nor practice divination. I will deliver my people out of your hand. And it ends... You shall know that I am Yahweh. Again, we see the language of against. What a terrifying phrase to know that God is against those who prophesy falsely. And he is against not only the prophets as we saw in the verse preceding verse 8 but he is also against what they're doing their actual practices here in verse 20 and and with these magic we don't exactly know the pagan magic that they were practicing but the this magic was somehow binding the souls of people and causing these people to be in bondage and captivity. It was probably Babylonian witch magic of some sort. And we see the great mercy of Yahweh finally in this text. Because look at what the text says. The, the magic bands hunt the souls like birds. These people are Helpless, even though they like what they're hearing and they're soaking in the teaching. Their souls are in bondage to the pagan 
practices. And it takes a supernatural, divine deliverer to set this people free. Look at what he says. Don't miss this. He says, I will tear them from your arms and I will let the souls whom you hunt go free. The souls like birds. Your veils also I will tear off and deliver my people out of your hand and they shall no more be in your hand as prey. You shall know that I am Yahweh. Notice the grace in this text that Yahweh is the one who will deliver his people. That Yahweh is the one in whom they, they should hope. But we see here in this text also once more judgment. Their pagan practices, he will tear off them. Their magic has no power in the supernatural hand of Yahweh. And God says, I will do it all. God gets the glory in both judgment of sinners and salvation of sinners. Did you know that? That God gets all the glory and nobody in heaven and nobody in hell cannot glorify God. Everybody glorifies God in the afterlife. There's nobody who gets to the afterlife and actually succeeds in not giving God glory because they will either give God glory in their joy or they will give God glory in their horror. But either way, they will bow the knee before Yahweh God. And we see that foreshadowed in this earthly life, in these Old Testament judgments and deliverances. The prophetesses, just like the false prophets, are judged. And we see finally here language of deliverance. Look at what he says. They shall no more be in your hand as prey, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. Just like with the false prophets, judgments go is to show off how great and glorious God is. Judgment's goal is to make much of God in His power and His righteousness and His holiness and His supremacy. And He gives one more causal statement. He just keeps laying it on thick here, doesn't He? Because you have disheartened the righteous falsely. Although I have not grieved him, and you have encouraged the wicked, notice that the righteous in the land, like Ezekiel, are disheartened because of the false teaching and false prophecies from the leadership of the men and women. They are disheartened. They are discouraged because they know by virtue of being righteous that they have not heard actually from Yahweh, but the wicked are affirmed in their sin. The wicked are affirmed in their sin. Oh, what horror it is to call evil good 
and good evil. God goes on to say that these wicked that are encouraged, that, that they don't turn from their evil way and they don't save their life and save their soul. And because these prophetesses by their evil magical practices affirm the wicked and dishearten the righteous, God says, no more. I'm going to judge you. Look at the text, the final verse. Therefore, you shall no more see false visions, nor practice divination. I will deliver my people out of your hand. One more judgment of good news. And you shall know that I am Yahweh. God has spoken. And when God speaks, His speech is righteous, His speech is true, His speech is worthy to be listened to simply because of who God is. And I would submit to you, dear ones, that if this was a passage of all judgment and there was no hope of deliverance for the righteous, if there was no hope of deliverance for God's true people, God would still be worthy of all of our worship, all of our praise, all of our adoration if God received none of that because God would still be glorified and His name would still be known even if He had sent us no Savior in Jesus Christ. And you may be wondering here, how did I just jump from this doom and gloom passage to Jesus Christ? Well, it's actually a very easy jump because within these last three verses, what you see here, dear friends, is the deliverance of Yahweh. God loves His people. God cares for His people. And this deliverance in Babylonian captivity is a foreshadowing of the real deliverance we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God shows His delivering nature most fully and completely in the cross of Christ. And you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, I'm not a witch. I don't claim to prophesy in God's name. I don't practice any sort of magic at all. But, but I would say that if you have not believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ yet, you are just as foolish as an atheist. You are just as foolish as a false prophet. And you may be thinking, that's really harsh, preacher. Why, why would you say such a thing? And I would say to you that you and me in and of myself, we are fundamentally no different than the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament and the false prophets and prophetesses. All of us, dear ones, are inclined and predisposed to follow after our own hearts. 
Maybe you're here and you've never been to a church service before and you're inclined to follow the spirit of this age and go after uh, homosexuality or go after atheism or, or maybe you're more like a false prophetess than you think you are. Maybe you're here and you actually after witchcraft or pagan practices. I would say in Jesus Christ, God beckons you to come and find deliverance for your soul. And just like in the Old Testament, God is still in the business of delivering souls. God is still in the business of setting captives free like birds. Because you may not think it, you may not feel it, but your soul is just as in bondage to sin and depravity following after your own passions, your own spiritual desires. And you need the ultimate deliverer, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ to set your captive, sinful soul free. Oh, dear ones, how I wish you would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who lived a perfect life on your behalf and the one who died a death for sinners on your behalf and who rose again on behalf of sinners. Believe upon Christ and live. Because you see, dear ones, if you are sitting here and you're not a Christian, God is against you personally. His wrath is upon you. God says that the, the wicked are condemned already. And guess what? You're wicked. God says you're wicked. God says you're sinful. God says you are worthy of my just and holy condemnation and wrath. See, we're all predisposed to think that we're just good people. We're all predisposed to think I haven't murdered anybody. I don't steal. I'm not a thief. Yeah, maybe I look lustfully at another man's wife or another woman's husband. But I'm not really that bad. You're worse than you could ever think yourself to be. Because the standard is not others. The standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. The standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has spoken ultimately by His Word and His Word through the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, if you would. Hebrews chapter 1. Y'all get there before me, that's all right. I want you to see this text in the precious book of Hebrews. In Utah, I use this all the time.
Look at chapter one, uh, verses one through four. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, like Ezekiel. Verse two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus Christ, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty (coughs) on high having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Do you find yourself to be a sinner today? I hope you do. Do you find yourself to be worthy of God's wrath today? Dear sinner, I hope you do. Because if you feel your need of the Lord Jesus Christ, come to Him. He is worthy of your worship. You'll find Him to be a full and complete deliverer in the same way He is full and complete in His judgments. And God has spoken to you today through the prophet Ezekiel and through God's Son, Jesus Christ, look to Christ and live, dear one. And if you're a Christian today, I have a few application points for you. Number one, guard this church. Guard this church. You may say, What does that have to do with anything in this text? Remember I told you that false prophets and prophetesses today, like the LDS, like the Mormons, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, like the TBN preachers, so-called, that God's judgment is just as firmly on them because they claim to be mouthpieces for God, yet God does not allow what they're spoken to be His Word and they are speaking falsely. You as a Baptist church have every right to guard what comes from this pulpit. And that is ultimately overseen by your pastors. But you as a church have every right to say to one of your pastors, if they were, good Lord forbid, to start teaching things that were antithetical to what God has revealed in this book, you have every right to vote them out and fire them from the eldership, from the pastorate. And in a world where everybody wants to say, oh, do what you want to do, be who you want to be, it doesn't really matter. God loves everybody de facto no matter what. That is not true as we have seen in our text today in Ezekiel. 
God cares much for what is said in His holy and just and righteous name. And God cares the same way today because He has revealed Himself in His ultimate prophet, His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to guard the gospel. Guard what has been entrusted to you. And the way that you do that, dear ones, is be Berean. Study the Scriptures. Know the Scriptures. Number two, you can rejoice that God has spoken. You can rejoice that God has spoken. Dear ones, I don't know this congregation like I know my own people at my church. But I'm not naive enough to think that everybody came in here all happy clappy and just wanted to sing songs just for the sake of singing songs. And you walk out, you're going to imagine bunnies and poodles prancing around everywhere. That's not how life works. You know, we live in reality where we face hardships and trials. And we do live in a fallen world. And we feel and experience the effects of a fallen, broken, sinful, unholy, ungodly world every single day. But sometimes it can be really, really bad. Are you in despair today? Have you reached your life's sin? Or at least you think it's been your life's sin? Oh, dear one, if that's you, God, God has spoken. You can look to His Word and find life for your soul. If you are down the dumps, if you're depressed, Read Psalms like Psalm 13. Read Psalms like Psalm 6. Read Psalms like 103 that tell you to bless the Lord, O my soul, regardless of how you feel. Read my favorite Psalm, which is Psalm 88, that teaches you sometimes the darkness doesn't lift. But God is the God of the darkness too. And if you're filling down the dumps, if you are a Christian, know that even your darkest days are under the protection of a sovereign God. Thirdly, and most obviously, read this book. God has spoken in this book. We do not believe as Christians that God has spoken in any other book. We believe that this is the authoritative, inerrant, infallible Word of the living God. And yes, God speaks today, but it's not through a self-styled, self-proclaimed prophet from the 19th century. It's not from some organization in New York, and it's certainly not from who you may turn on from TV and they babble and unintelligible tongues but if you want to hear from God read this book and drink deeply from God's revealed word and as you come to church services like this 
the, the old confessions teach this. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Not in the sense that I'm inspired in the same way that the book is, but in hearing God's true men preach, you have been confronted with the Word of God, and God is demanding that you make a decision. Perhaps you're here and you're thinking, I haven't been reading from God's Word like I ought to. Or perhaps I've been leaning too much on my feelings and they have guided me more than God's Word has. Dear one, if that's you, by all authority invested in God's Word, I can tell you, repent. Turn away from that. Let God's Word guide your heart. Let God's Word guide your feelings. That's the only thing that's ultimately going to get you out of despair. That's the only thing that's going to give you a hope for living when you feel like you can't live anymore. That's going to give you strength for all your trials. Notice I didn't say it's going to fix your trials. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is look to God's Word. And then finally, my last application. God's Word ought to allow you to be able to pray joyfully because you can pray to a God that not only speaks, but listens. Pray to God. Read His Word. Pray His Word back to Him. He loves that. One of the things that we do at our church is every morning we have a prayer meeting and anybody that wants to can come and pray and we pick a psalm and we pray through that psalm and we listen to God speak through His Word and then pray that back to Him. And so, be those who who call out to God in righteousness and in faith and in purity because you know that you're talking to a God who has spoken back in His Word. And He's spoken most assuredly and eternally in the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, we'll see Him face to face as He is. One day, We'll hear the words, those who are a part of His true church, well done, my good and faithful servant. And for those who are His, you will never, ever, ever, ever hear the words, I'm against you. But in Jesus Christ, God is for you. And as Romans 8 says, it doesn't matter who's against you. But the counter... Is also true. If God is against you, you could have all the militaries in the world before you, and it won't save you on that great day. Oh, how I wish you would believe. How I wish you would believe. If you're here and you have not believed, believe today while there's still time. Believe today while there's still a chance to lay hold of the great deliverer, the one who's saved your soul on a bloody old tree, 
Oh, how, how I wish, dear one, dear unbeliever, you would believe upon this God. And you would not be among the ones who are encouraged in your wickedness today. But you're forever disheartened in the pits of hell. And for those who are believers, aren't you thankful that God speaks to us? Aren't you thankful that you can believe upon the Lord Jesus afresh every day? And on that day, when you stand before Him, He'll say, I'm for you. Not because you're worth it, but because Christ is worth it all. And He has ransomed your guilty soul and your wiped clean forever, clothed in His beautiful righteousness. Would you believe upon Him today? Whether it's for the first time or for the hundred thousandth time. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thankful that you've spoken. You've given us 66 books. We're even more thankful that you've spoken to us in the ultimate prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us as believers to be better stewards of your word. Help us to (coughs) guard our respective flocks, guard the teaching. Guard the preaching. Help us spur one another on to holiness and love. For some here, oh God, just let your word be the the thing that helps them continue on. And for those who do not believe, if they come out of here without believing upon your son, I pray that you would be merciful to them and they would not experience the eternal woes of hell. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.